Last week, um, <clears throat> I was preaching at Sunnyside, but I understand that Nada started a series on the seven last words um, on the cross. And <clears throat> so today, we, we are going to look at uh, the second one, which was the very last line of the reading that Peter has just said. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I want to go back a little bit in the ministry of Jesus. Um, <clears throat> probably fairly early in his ministry, after he called his disciples, they were walking one day from one village to another, and he, he turned to them and he asked them a question and he said, who do people say that I am? And so I suppose they looked at each other and then they said to him, well, some say you, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And we need to keep that in our minds. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. In other words, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit was active here in revealing to Peter the, his answer to the question. Well, why is this question so important? Well, I guess it's a question that each one of us have to answer at some stage in our lives. Who do we think Jesus really is? And I'm sure all of you sitting here <clears throat> would be able to answer that question without any trouble. You would immediately be able to say, well, he's the Son of God, um, or he's the Messiah, or he's the Savior, uh, the Lord. But... <clears throat> If you went to some of our Western countries today, especially in Europe, UK, even America, and you were to go onto the street and just stop people at random and ask them, you know, who do you think Jesus is? And they would probably say, who? Or maybe you'd get a vague answer and say, well, isn't he in the Bible or something? And no doubt, there were quite a few who probably wouldn't know. In fact, a lot of people probably only associate the name Jesus as a swear word. Some years ago, I attended a reconciliation conference in Sheffield in the UK. And uh, the host that very kindly accommodated me lived just outside of Sheffield. And so on the Sunday, I went to church with them to a little local Anglican church. 
And uh, when I walked in there, and there on the one side that actually moved um, pews and stuff away, there was this great big galvanized iron tank. And, and seeing my puzzlement, they said to me, oh, we had a baptismal service. And <clears throat> what it turned out was that they had a number of new members, new converts to the church. And they had all come from a background that knew nothing about the Bible. They didn't know the Bible stories. They didn't know Jesus or anything else. And so they had elected to actually get baptized by immersion. So, why is this question so important? Well, Peter gives us the answer in Acts 4. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So for the person who is really seeking true truth, it will always lead you to Jesus. The one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All right, let us now turn to that scene of the crucifixion as described in Luke's Gospel. And it, it's very short. The, you need to read all, all the Gospels to really get the full picture. <clears throat> but we have this brief, brief description in Luke's Gospel. Um, and it's a crucifixion of Jesus, who was called the Christ, the Greek word for Messiah, this was the person that Israel had put their hope in. But here we see a different situation. We see Jesus, and he looks just like any ordinary man, like one of us. Cruelly nailed to a cross. He's been humiliated. It is a mock trial. He's had a crown of thorns jammed on his head. He's been cursed. He's been beaten. And there he is, bleeding, hanging on a, wheel on a wooden cross. On either side of him, two other criminals also nailed to a cross. And one of these criminals, or thieves, are they're usually known as the, the two thieves. The Bible doesn't actually say that, but apparently tradition has it that they were thieves. And the one like you know, the mob that had been crying out says, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. He gasps us out, struggling to breathe on the cross. Obviously, he's in agony. He knows he's dying, and he cries out in desperation, you know, do something. But on the other side of Jesus, the other criminal, obviously also in agony, turns around and he rebukes this criminal, the other thief. And he says, do you not even fear God? seeing that you're under the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, 
for we received the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing. That raises two questions for us this morning. The first one, do you not even fear God? It's very interesting if we, if we look back in the, in, in the gospel account of Jesus' ministry. Here he is, absolutely defeated, nailed to a cross, dying. But this was the same man who walked the dusty roads of Judea and Samaria, teaching about the kingdom of God. And in Matthew um, chapter 9, this is what the crowd said about him, the people said about him. <clears throat> when the crowd saw, when they saw, had heard Jesus teaching, that they saw what he had done, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to a man. These same people now were baying for his blood and had finally succeeded. And here he was, nailed to the cross. Did they fear God? No, they didn't seem to fear God at all. You know, it's, it's frightening to see how a crowd can be incited. <clears throat> Ordinary, peace-loving people can be incited to violence. And that's what had happened here. The Jewish leaders had worked this thing up and got the crowds to shout out and say, crucify him, crucify him. And sadly, if we look at our world today, the agenda is being driven <clears throat> by popular opinion and protests. You've only got to read or watch the headlines, and you, you see how many of them deny the very existence of God. So, did this thief really believe Jesus was God? Having, according to Matthew and Mark's account, he'd been with the crowd and had mocked Jesus. But now, he, somehow, he's turned. I mean, is it just because he's in agony and thinks somehow this may help him in this situation? Well, judging by Jesus' response to him, I think there's more to this. You know, when Peter answered Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? the Holy Spirit revealed to him. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, Jesus said, but by my Father in heaven. And you know, no matter what the circumstances may be, God is always ready to reveal himself to a heart that is open and seeking. And so I think God did something in his heart. And it's interesting that even just after this, the centurion, one of those in charge of the Roman garrison that had carried out the crucifixion, says, surely this man must be the Son of God. 
You see, we don't know what goes on in the human heart. It's always between the person and God. But somehow, this criminal hanging on the cross had understood that he was under condemnation. Under condemnation were the Romans and under condemnation before God. And he feared God, and rightly so. In that moment, he understood that what he had done in the sight of God, and I think there was real repentance. And that raises for us the second question. We need to understand that we actually are in the same position as those two thieves, under condemnation. And Jesus made this quite clear in John's Gospel. Now, we love John 3.16, probably one of the, the, the most well-known verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But we need to read on. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the one and only Son. So what's the basis of the condemnation? Not acknowledging and believing who Jesus is. If we don't repent, we remain under condemnation. And so this thief on the cross now, he turns to Jesus. <clears throat> and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into my, your kingdom. So he cries out, almost with his dying breath, Lord, this is an about turn. You know, Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so this thief prays, Lord Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know, it's never too late to turn to Jesus. If you have a friend or relative, <clears throat> Who does not know Jesus, it's never too late to share the gospel with them, even up to their last moments. For many years I worked in African Enterprise with Michael Cassidy, and last year he shared with me a story, not a, not a true story. He'd, he'd kept in touch with a school friend hadn't really been a friend, but he, he kind of kept in touch with this person over the years. And this particular person had <clears throat> in, inherited the family company, <clears throat> which had grown considerably and now was a massive multinational company. In fact, when he went to the, the funeral after this person had died, the, the company private jet picked him up from Oribe Airport here to take him to the funeral. 
But anyway, when Michael heard that he was really terminally ill, he went, he went to see him, and he shared the gospel with him and <clears throat> came back home. And then he heard a few days later from his daughter who said that <clears throat> her father had passed away, but literally almost his last words were, Lord Jesus, remember me. And so this thief prays on the cross, Lord Jesus, remember me. And immediately, even in his own suffering, Jesus shows compassion. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word paradise in Greek means a garden. It's the word used for garden. And in fact, in the Septuagint translation, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, that's the word they use to describe the Garden of Eden. But what is important here is not the place, but it's the presence. Today you will be with me. Today you will be with me. Is this possible? What was there to justify this criminal going to heaven? He deserved to die. He said so himself. What about all the other faithful followers of, of Jesus, like us sitting here today? People who all their lives, they've strived to be faithful, obedient disciples. Somehow this, this doesn't seem fair. Hey? It just doesn't kind of fit. This guy at the very last moment cries out and says, Jesus, and Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. When you first receive Jesus, those of you who believe you are Christians, when you first received Jesus as your savior, what, what did you do that made you worthy of this gift of salvation? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. It's God's gift to us. It's through grace. There's no effort that we can do that will ever justify us standing before our holy God. This is what the Bible says about our efforts at righteousness. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are filthy rags. That's what the prophet Isaiah wrote. Paul, writing to the Romans, says, There's none righteous. No, not one. And so what is the basis of our salvation? God's grace. Grace and only grace. Unmerited favor. It's a gift we never deserved and we never will deserve. And that's why Paul, writing to the Ephesians, and he reminds them, he says, Once you were in darkness, but now he has brought you into his wonderful light. 
Once you were dead in your trespasses and sins, now you are alive unto God. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We have had nothing to do with it, but receive it. Do we deserve God's grace? Absolutely not. So by faith and believing, we are saved, forgiven. And now we are no longer under condemnation. And it's purely by God's grace. And it was the same for the thief on the cross. Saved by God's grace. And you know what God says? I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Fanny Crosby sums it up in the hymn that we often sing in this church. The one verse goes, O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, to every believer the promise of God the vilest defender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. So in conclusion, if Jesus said to you today, who do you say that I am? What would you say to him? I leave that question with you. And when we sing our closing hymn, I Surrender All. If there's anyone here that has never surrendered to Jesus, never acknowledged that you need him as your saviour, perhaps now is the opportunity during the singing of this, this hymn, just say to Lord Jesus, I want to receive you today. Come and be my Lord and Saviour. Cleanse me from my sin. Now perhaps is your opportunity. Amen.